0: We've got a great episode for you today. We are bringing back a fan favorite, Andrew Updike. He is an economist with a company called First Trust. We have him on from time to time to help us understand what's going on in the world, in the U.S., but also outside the U.S. from an economic perspective. And so today we are having an end of year update with Andrew Updike. And
1: I think uh, just want to let you know this up front. So if you know you're going to invest the time, it's about 30 minutes. But we hit every single topic that you're probably concerned about. We talk about inflation. We talk about uh, are we going to have a recession? We talk about the conflicts going on right now across the world and what that might or might not mean economically speaking. Um, and then we kind of we wrap up wrap up the uh, episode with his biggest concern and his biggest positive. And I think you'll find that very very enlightening and very very helpful. If you would like to ever have a conversation, I'd like to remind you how to do that. You can simply go to our website, go to the top right hand corner. Website is pomwealth.net. Top right hand corner, click on schedule call. Our calendar comes right up. You can just pick a time. We're glad, more than happy to hop on, have a, a conversation with you on the phone, try to help you figure out, maybe answer some of your specific questions. But before we get into this episode, we have a very quick disclosure. Welcome everyone to Secure Your Retirement podcast. This is one of our most exciting of episodes that we get to do throughout the year when we have our guest. And uh, I say he's really not our personal, but we kind of we claim him as our personal economist, Andrew Updike. So, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today.
3: Yeah, absolutely, happy to be here.
1: Well, good. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's just jump right in. You know, just in case you've not heard Andrew before, what we really try to utilize uh, is his broad-based knowledge around the economy, not only here in the U S but across the world. And uh, this has been one of those years where we've seen the markets kind of surprisingly go up. Then we've had the pullback and here we are again, as we're talking, you know, where the market's kind of like edging up again. And so, you know, kind of, could you kind of give us a baseline of where you think things are as we sit here in this, uh, in this time of the year? Yeah. You know,
3: what's interesting. So- October coming off of October now in November, October was 1 of those months where uh, for much of the month concern built. right? People were worried because we had the escalation. We saw the conflict rising uh, over in Israel and Gaza. We started to see uh, concerns because inflation numbers have remained stubbornly high, and they were starting to see the economic data on the plus side has remained positive and it's been coming in stronger than they anticipated for much of the month. People said, hey, 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 maybe that means the fed's going to have to go even further. The fed's been saying they're going to be higher for longer. So, throughout much of the month concern built, and you saw the markets kind of pull back, uh, but I think the key turning point was the latest fed meeting. It happened November 1st, Powell and company came out and said, Maybe we're done. Maybe, maybe there aren't any more hikes after this. They pause again uh, for consecutive meetings and they said, look, you know, there's a couple things that are happening and, and maybe that's doing some of the tightening for us. We're going to sit back. We're going to watch. And the market as of you know, right now is pricing in the Fed is completely done with rate hikes. And the next thing to come is gonna be rate cuts in 2024. And that, that belief that maybe they've done enough, maybe inflation is done, maybe we're gonna go into the easing phase next uh, is bringing some confidence to the markets. But just like you know, two weeks, a week before that, they were concerned and how quickly that sentiment shifted, I, I, we could see that happen again. There's still a lot of data to come. Last, the, the, the employment report we got for the month of October was showing a bit of a slowdown. And so, you know, let's watch the data. Let's watch and see how it plays out. The Fed is not committed to anything. If inflation remains sticky, if there's escalation further on geopolitical fronts, it could, it could shift things again. So, right now, the market's kind of ebbing and flowing with the, the, the momentum, the movement, the feeling of the day, and that can shift at any point.
0: So while we talk about the market for the year, uh, Andrew. So if you look at say the S and P five hundred, we know and what we educate clients around is that a lot of the return in the S and P has come from what is being called the the touted as the Magnificent Seven stocks, right? The, mm-hmm. Your Apple's, mm-hmm. your Amazon's, your Facebook and or Meta and Google and them. Um, and, but if you look at one thing that we want to also point out is that if you were to say, take a look at, because the S&P 500 is market capitalized, so those top seven stocks right. have a tremendous amount of weight in how the index moves. But if you right. were to equal weight and go to an equal weight index and say every single one of those stocks in the 500 are the exact same, uh, the indexes are, or the, the number is that it would be a negative year for an equal weight type of index, whereas you've got yeah. the S&P, depending on the day, somewhere up around 10% or something like that. So, are are you worried at all about? I guess, if you think about in, investor behavior, and a lot of time, a lot of times you hear the words of you know Apple being a safe stock to go invest in. It's like a defensive position for a lot of people now. Are you worried about that that type of concentration up there? Yeah.
3: I mean, when, when you look at it, like you mentioned, the equal weight, generally speaking, the, the average company uh, is down this year. In fact, the only you know the percentage of companies that are beating the overall index, it's the most concentrated. We have seen it going back 20, 30 years. Um, but if you look at the index as a whole, the earnings are also flat to slightly down this year. I think the equal weight is a, a better example. It's a better picture of what the average company is seeing, but you have this handful of companies that have significantly outperformed. The The question when you look at that is how much of that is driven by their earnings and how much of that is driven by sentiment. How much are people paying up for those types of companies, the Apple's, the Microsoft's, and and if you look at the big 10, right, let's strip, let's instead of going with the big 10 let's look at the top 10 companies in the index. They're trading at a multiple, a price to earnings multiple. Closer to 25 to 30, whereas the rest of the market is at about 17. so you are definitely paying a premium and now those companies have to live up to those expectations. The way that I've looked at this in terms of the sustainability of market movement is if if you've got, you know, 5. Bodybuilders, Just massive people pushing a rock up a hill, right? They can get some of that momentum. They can push it up. But if one of them gets tired, it puts a lot more pressure on each remaining one. If you've got 300 people, average people that are pushing it, one or two gets tired, right? You can still keep that momentum up. You're putting a lot of reliance on, on these companies to continue to maintain. So really right now, I would be broadening out. I want to have that broader exposure when we when, – if the Fed starts cutting – if we get and we will get past, whether we have a recession or not, and we can certainly talk about that. But you know in in six months, twelve months, eighteen months from now, when we start seeing that that prolonged, extended you know return, bull market, whatever you want to call it, it's going to come from a broadening out. We've seen this historically. Concentration happens for a period and broadens out. So I, I'm a little hesitant when I look at that S&P 500 number for the year. It's not a good representation of generally what's been happening. Uh, and in order for that to maintain, we need to see so many more of those other people participating. And I think we will see it, but it may take some time.
1: Yeah, good. Thank you. That was That's nice. that's nice to kind of get that viewpoint. Um so, so we just, uh, Merce and I went out, uh, to the Charles Schwab conference and, uh, that's a big conference and, and we enjoy going there cause you get so much good education, but a couple of different folks that were there that were talking, uh, one in particular, uh, his opinion was this, he says, you know, we hear about this, this, you know, hard landing, uh, for the economy. We talked about a soft landing. And he kind of said, I really kind of feel like we're probably not going to land. I think the economy is in a place where it's really going to just take off from here, that it, we've had this, this little you know, blip with the inflation and all that. And so I think we're, we're poised right now to see the economy just kind of go off from here. How would you speak to that? Like, what would be your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, so I'm still in the kind of, soft, depending on how we you know define these, soft landing, hard landing. The way I look at it is this, the third quarter data. Right 3rd quarter for the United States was an incredibly strong quarter from a consumer standpoint from a business investment standpoint, Um, but we see some of those tides turning 1 thing we saw was big uh, inventory accumulation by businesses. And when they're doing their earnings calls right now, they're saying, you know what, we kind of planned ahead. Remember 2 years ago, a year ago, they were dealing with this cycle. It was hard to predict when inventories would get in, right? If you went through 2020, 2021, even into 2022. you were ordering 6, 9, 12 months in advance in order to try to get things for the holidays. Now that supply chains have caught up. They've said, hey, maybe we overdid it. We're going to pull back a little bit on our spending. And oh, by the way, right in the 2nd, half of this year, Treasury rates interest rates have risen 100 200 basis points a full percent or 2 and now our cost of borrowing is rising and so we're pulling back a little bit on projects i don't see a an acceleration at this point i think we're going to decelerate here over the next three six nine months now whether that means we hit a recession or not is that major question and people have been having this conversation i mean The recession has been six months away for 18 months now, right? (laughs) And this question of will we ever get there is a major question. There are, right? There's no doubt that consumers are slowing in some areas. There's no doubt that an 8% 30-year mortgage rate leads to a slowdown in home building. There is no doubt that companies are borrowing less. You can see this in the bank. They have to report all this data. You can see the slowdowns in there. The question is do we kind of just stall? Do we kind of just flatten out and let things kind of recalibrate? Do we get things back in check or do we see any sort of drop off? And, you know, if we see a drop off, and that is still my base case that we may technically go into a recession, it's going to be very shallow. This is a very shallow recession. It's just. It's been such a wild ride for the last 3 years, so many unprecedented things so much money hitting the system with the PPP loans, the direct stimulus checks, the additional unemployment benefits in the last year. So much money hitting through the inflation reduction act and the chips act that people are like, how much of this is sustainable? How much of this was a 1 time hit? We have to get to those sustainable uh spending rates those sustainable business investment rates without these outside factors to really judge the health of the u.s economy but we keep putting stimulus in we keep putting pieces in and and the question is when are we going to reach that point where there's no more of that outside influence we're really fully walking under our own weight and I, I, right now it looks like we're going to get that test early in 2024.
2: i hope that you are enjoying the show
3: this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life so head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcasts and check us out
0: so sticking with the recession topic and now now kind of talking more about uh portfolio construction in a way uh so with the idea of a recession coming in you've got certain companies that will not necessarily thrive but they'll hang in their wealth you'll have certain companies that you know will 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 take the brunt of the recession so from mm-hmm. a, from an investor perspective, how should someone be considering aligning their portfolio if we are going into something like this? Also realizing that some of this is complete guesswork as guess to when it does happen, if it actually does happen
3: the way that I think about it right now. if Whether or not we have a recession, there's questions like, are interest rates still going to be high in 6, 12, 18 months? Even if the Fed starts cutting, they're not going to cut rates down to zero. Will the cost of borrowing, if you are one of the biggest companies in the world right now, Apple right now, their cost of borrowing is, is today what it was for some of the riskiest companies. 3, 4 years ago, rates have just risen inflation has risen people are demanding more in order to lend and that's going to impact projects who is in a good position today to be able to operate to be able to uh, continue to do some projects, invest in their company and grow. So, 1st, thing I'm looking for is strength and balance sheet look for companies that have sustainable cash flow. There are a lot of unprofitable companies that came into existence in 2020 and in 2021 that time period where, you know, you turn on the TV and they said, don't. the world has changed. Go buy your Peloton because we're not going back to gyms. We're going to do all this from home. Everybody was buying, you know, like, zoom zoom became worth more than Exxon mobile. Even though their revenues were so much smaller because people said the world has changed. We put a lot of capital. A lot of people started to allocate into you know, these idea funds. that didn't come to fruition. That didn't come and start generating profits. They're facing trouble today. So the 1st thing I always look for is, do you generate cash flow? If you generate cash flow and you've got the capacity to self finance yourself to be able to fund your own projects without having to take on that 5, 6, 7% loan. That's the first thing I would look at. Second thing I would look at is, are you paying up for it right now, right? Most of the market is trading towards more historically average multiples, right? You're paying kind of an average level. And so we are, I am more down towards that smaller end, uh, not with the big 10 names, but towards those smaller companies with healthy cash flows. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, there is, there, you want to have exposure to everything. You still want to have exposure to the magnificent seven. You want to have exposure to small and medium-sized companies. You may want to still have some exposure to international. Diversification is your friend over time. What I would be doing today is looking and saying, given the way that the market has moved over the last one, two, three years, has my portfolio construction for how I want to be over time has that kind of gotten out of whack? And and because some companies have really run and some have lagged behind, maybe it's time to just bring things back into that balance because we never know in a year or two, I don't know how many people you talked to in 2019 that were saying, hey, I'm really getting prepared for that global pandemic that's coming, you know, eight, nine months from now. There are things you're never going to be able to predict, but we can build portfolios. We can design to try to deal with the unknowns, to have some protection, make sure that these are fundamentally strong companies and still have exposure to the growth that comes from major technologies that get released. So today, profitability, make sure they're appropriately priced, and just evaluate those portfolios and make sure that anything that got out of whack, you're bringing them back into balance.
1: Excellent, so I'm gonna switch uh, over here to one of those things that's obviously a kind of a sad part of the world right now, but um, we, we, we've we been talking about Ukraine and Russia now for a while, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. now we have this scenario, this, this, um, this conflict between Hamas and Israel. Uh, we know that the U.S. has been sending money and efforts to Ukraine. Now they say that they're going to be sending money and efforts over for this conflict. What do you see from that type of geopolitical issue that could, that, how could that affect the economy? I hate to break conflicts into the economy, but cause it's obviously a, just a sad thing. I, the, the report I saw today said every 10 minutes right now, a child is dying and two are injured critically. So, I mean, it's a big deal problem, but how does this kind of play out economically speaking?
3: Yeah. No, and that's, it's a great question. It's, it's one of the difficult parts of the job, right? Is that we, you know, you watch what's taking place. And I got two kids that are sitting at home. Every time I turn on the, t- the TV and I see these families that are stuck in the middle of these conflicts that they may not want anything at all to do with it is absolutely heartbreaking. And then I go into the office and I gotta put on that econ cap, that market cap and say, okay, where are we exposed? Where are, there's the humanitarian side of this, and then there's the mathematical logistical side. We don't have a lot of exposure specifically to Israel, to uh, that, that Gaza region. Um, But the major risk of something like that is one, there's obviously an energy risk. There's a lot of um, geopolitical players in that area, places like Iran, that if they were to get involved, It's going to impact energy markets, which is going to impact inflation. Now, I will say, you know, Iran, they don't really want to get involved because they know the US has put carrier ships uh, by their single biggest port. They have 1 major export facility for oil. And that is the major driver of their economy. And this ship is positioned there basically saying, hey, if you act, if you get involved in this thing, we can shut down your exports and absolutely demolish economic activity. So, Iran, a lot of the surrounding nations don't want to take part in this. They're trying to kind of stay back, stay neutral. People would love to see a ceasefire. But remember, right, this, this is not a conflict that arose out of nowhere. This is a conflict that's been ongoing, not just for you know, decades, but for centuries. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't see a quick solution to this one. I think it is going to be a difficult and it could be an ongoing fight, something that we will hear a lot about on TV. But I think the economic and market repercussions will be less substantial, unless, similar to Russia Ukraine, unless Russia invades Poland and starts a bigger war. These conflicts kind of stay contained and we see what we can do from a humanitarian side, how we can aid, how we can help those people that are caught in the middle of this. But from an investment standpoint, um, there's, there's a little less action to take. It's more of a, that's an unfortunate thing that's taking place, but it's not heavily impacting a lot of companies. I will say this, though. We have seen some fracturing on the, the uh, global trade landscape over the last. Two, three, four years, and, and you know it happened even before COVID. If you remember 2018, 2019, Trump was escalating trade conflicts with places like China, and we are seeing this this fracturing. We're seeing some groups, China, Russia, uh, Syria, kind of break off into their own little pocket, trying to do some things. The U.S. What we've done in in the United States. Is we've said, who do we feel like we have strong relationships with? We sign new contracts, new trade agreements with Canada, with Mexico, with Japan. And if you look, China's no longer our number 1 trade partner. They were for years. Now, they're down to number 3 and we are kind of slowly shuffling back, pulling away, trying to make sure that where we are plugging in where we're allocating capital, where we are putting in agreements for resources that we need. Uh, are with people we can trust and feel confident that their political structure that their economic structure is going to sustain uh, and is kind of aligned with ours. I would expect that trend is going to continue here over the next 510 years that you will continue to see some separation between these groups. Um, and that may mean a little more pressure on inflation, but it's, 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 it's the nature of what's going on right now.
0: Okay. Well, great. That's a great summary there. Let's transition to one more topic and then I think we can close out with the usual that we ask you, what are you what are you, you know, excited about? What are you worried about? But before we get to that, um, so if you go back a couple of years, the, the frenzy was all around cryptocurrency and then it was let's not worry about cryptocurrency. Let's invest in the technology, which is buying in the bo- blockchain. And now today from what has really uh, launched in the magnificent seven is all around artificial intelligence, AI. So is that uh, there's obviously been a massive run up because of some of those companies that have a lot of that technology. And there's a really some really cool things that you can do with artificial AI. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the question becomes, is, is it is it going to continue to be a good thing? Or are we going to continue to have good run ups and, and the markets benefiting from it? Or, or is it going to, in your opinion, are we going to see issues around it as well down the road?
3: Yeah, so the way I think about AI to a degree is what we saw in the late 90s, is it related to the Internet? A lot of the same conversation. This is changing the way that we work. This is going to change industries. This is going to lead to certain types of jobs not being needed anymore. And that's, you know, back in the late 90s, people are talking and say, hey, if we introduce these things, if we unlock these things. If all of a sudden the global conversation, it it, it expands, what does that mean for U.S., you know, middle-class workers? Is that going to lead to, you know, a destruction of the U.S.? There's a lot of similarities, and there's a lot of hype and consideration investment movements that are tracking on a handful of companies that people are saying, these are the winners. The world is changing. Our environment is changing. Let's be involved with these winners. Now, if you go back to 1999 and you look at who were the major companies. Right, what you'll see is that the names are things like Nokia, GE, AOL Time Warner, um, IBM. There's a lot of companies who were very well positioned at the time. Uh, Bell Labs, Lucent Technology, I'll include in there as well and and they were leaders going into the new technology but they were big names that also had bureaucracy and it was very hard for them as the new technology came out nobody was sitting there in 99 again or at least very few people were saying hey we really need to pay attention to those two guys larry and and sergey who are over there at stanford because they think it looks like they're working on something cool and there's this other guy on a college campus named mark zucker something right he's created this new facebooky thing and that seems like it people weren't looking at it they weren't looking at amazon who was a bookseller at that point we get surprised at where innovation is driven from and a lot of times it's driven by where people can take risks uh and a lot of companies will fail along that path but we we see this turnover over time of the 10 biggest companies in 99 only two of them microsoft And Exxon are still in the top 10 largest companies. So, when I look at AI and I see people saying, hey, the magnificent 7, the biggest companies today are going to win this fight. I'm a little more cautious. I look at it and say, hey, you know, historically, the trend has been that smaller companies, more risk taking companies are able to come into this space and they end up taking a lot of the awards and don't forget it takes longer than we expect. New technologies take longer to make an impact than we anticipate uh, in the short term, but they do more than we anticipate over the long term. AI could be a legitimate shit. I, I've got more faith in AI than I did in, in crypto. I, from our prior conversations, if anybody's seen this before, I was not a big crypto person. I do like blockchain. I think that's going to be a part of this. But AI, uh, as it develops over the next few years, nobody knows who the ultimate winners are going to be. We will, I think the people will be winners because efficiencies will come through. We'll have more options, smarter options. We'll have more choice. We have been historically moving for the last 100 years toward less physical labor, less total hours worked, but greater income, greater leisure, more uh, choices on what we do in that leisure time. I think that side of it will continue, but AI. I'm not, I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket. I'm going to spread it across this big group because, again, we just don't know who those winners are going to be. And I, I love innovation. I love entrepreneurship. Let's bet on the group. Let's bet on the group and see what they can do. And I think they'll do amazing things.
1: Excellent. All right, well, let's do our wrap-up here with our, with our final two questions. Uh, I'll start off with the one that uh, – that, and let Merce close out with a positive. But So what is it that right now, sitting here in November of 2023, are you worried about?
3: Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit earlier. You know, the geopolitical issues that are starting to pop up in different areas. Again, you've seen that with Russia, Ukraine, you see that with with what's going on with Israel, Palestine. I think we could see a couple more of these. When, when there are these shifts taking place, there's winners and there's losers and people that feel like they're losing access to the world markets or losing presence on the world market. And because there's a, there's, there's a, a, a population shift, demographic shifts that are taking place where some of the biggest nations right now, China included are probably at peak population and they are going to see a decline, a more difficult path over the next 10, 20, 30 years. So here in the short to intermediate term, the, the fighting has got me a little concerned. It's got me a little stressed. It's, it's tragic, right? And I wish there was an easier solution. I wish there was something that we could do to alleviate that, but I think we're gonna hear more and more of it. And then next year, we're going into an election year, right? And so, locally domestically, we're going to hear the fights. We're going to hear there's there's a wave of negativity that comes. Because people are frustrated Uh, people are concerned. I think the negativity side of it could put some downward pressure on the markets. I think that's what I'm concerned about is that people are getting emotionally drained. Uh, and, and and people in a lot of these other countries are dealing with some incredible conflict that I we, – we need to find a way to help them, but it's it's no easy solution. So, you know, that side of it, I hope it doesn't escalate. If it does, that could throw everything off track. If China invades Taiwan, Russia invades Poland, Iran gets in this war, it's a whole different picture. It's a whole different path forward than where we are today. Uh, fingers crossed that, that they don't escalate to that point.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. All right, well, let's end on a positive note. Andrew, what are you, uh, as we come to close out the year, what are you excited about as we close out the year and then enter into
3: 2024? Um, so AI, you know, I, the more I spend time, again, I don't think it's going to change the world over the next six months, 12 months, 24 months. But the progress, I live in a family of programmers. Both my dad, both of my brothers are programmers. Um, they spend a lot more time. And the things they keep bringing, they're like, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen this? It is unbelievable. I think, I think one of the times in the past, I, I shared the stat about, you know, global literacy Uh, up until 1963, less than half of the world's adult population was literate and it had never broken 50% at any point in the history of the world up until 1963. Today, we've got about 90% of the global population adult population is literate, which is an amazing progress in terms of unleashing human potential human prosperity. Uh, I was reading a book. Last week on energy production, and uh, they brought up another stat because they were talking about how we do more with less. 1 thing I hadn't thought about is that back in the 1960s, the world's population was less than half of what it is today. Right? And you think about what that not only. Are we reading, learning, attacking problems, right? At a higher level, we've got a greater, far greater percentage of the population that is fighting to to, uh, resolve issues. We've got more than twice as many people here on this earth to do that. We have never, ever, ever in history had more people fighting the fight. And to me, that is absolutely awesome. I get a newsletter. It's the human, I think it's called the human resource project every Sunday and it talks about where is their growth? What are, what are things that we're doing across? And every week I'm hearing about a new fight on a, a, a you know, a, a, a cancer or a disease that we've been trying to alleviate for a very long time. The latest news was how dementia. Is in decline, the the rates of dementia are declining about 13% in the last decade. Uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. We are making amazing progress in a lot of categories and while we have our issues and while we have our fights, and those will never fully go away. We have more people than ever today fighting with more information with no, more knowledge with more learning with more sanitation with more food. So, as we you know, go here into Thanksgiving soon, and then we close out the year and we've got Christmas, there's a lot to be thankful for. There is a lot to reflect on as we look back on this year. And don't just you know, look back and say, hey, what were the issues? What were the frustrations? Look back at the progress. Look back at, at the unbelievable thing. And Unfortunately, you have to fight harder to find them. They don't get as much news coverage because if it bleeds, it leads, right? But I'm unbelievably excited about what the world is doing and what the world is unleashing right now. It is quite frankly mind-boggling if you take a step back and think about, right, how human potential is being unleashed today. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's easy sometimes to just only hear about what the bad things are that are going on because of the media and everything like that. So to realize that there are a bunch of really good things happening. Uh, in tandem as well. I think that's great. Andrew, thank you so much for hopping on with us today. We know you're a busy guy, but our our, uh, clients and listeners, they love hearing from you. They think you explain in such a nice and easy way. So we really appreciate you carving out some time. Thank you so much. Appreciate joining you.
2: All right, everyone, that wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network, so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are. And now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.